and welcome to Mash Mouth, the podcast covering every single episode of the hit 1970s sitcom, Mash. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Ethan. Ethan, okay, so this will be a little bit old by the time we get this episode out, but <laughs> did you see on the socials that Alan Alda had an AI program uh, create new Mash content for him and Mike Farrell to read together? I did. I have not checked out this reading as of this recording, but I absolutely will. But it is really cool that there is new MASH content out <laughs> in the world. Like, I don't want a MASH reboot or anything. I don't think anyone in the world wants that. But as a new fan of this show, let's say, a modern fan, it is very nice that Alan Alda and Mike Farrell are still out there providing to the MASH fan base that still exists with some new stuff. The AI generation is a little uh, little sketchy for me. I don't know how I feel about <laughs> that in general, but just as a thing that exists, like that's a fun use of AI generation when two very old friends get back together and just do a scene together of, a, of an old show that we all enjoy. <laughs> Yeah, I was uh, thrilled with the new MASH content after 40 years because I have been craving some MASH content and after MASH just didn't do it for me. So <laughs> this was really fun. I like I like that Alan Alda is kind of just so here. You know what I mean? He's so mm -hmm. present. I do think that it's really cool that he, you know, has a podcast and is making use of like new technology and stuff like that. I think that's really interesting and unique. So Stay tuned, maybe a bonus episode of Mash Mouth covering this uh, AI-generated script. That would be really fun. Let's actually do that. Just yeah. a really quick bonus episode. <laughs> and I have to say, like, I love that Alan Alda has a podcast in general. It's called Clear and Vivid, if you haven't checked it out before. And they follow us on social media. And that was... Woo! One of the most exciting things to ever happen in my entire <laughs> life when that first happened. Yeah, we loved it. Uh, we, we nerded out pretty hard, so that was a lot of fun. <laughs> so in this episode, A Rich Full Day, Hawkeye explains a rather unusual time at the 4077 to his dad via a tape recorder letter home. So Ethan, what did you think about this episode? I like this one. I wasn't blown away by it. I thought it was a solid episode. I like the commentary kind of aspect of it a lot more than like the comedy of it. I thought this episode had Hawkeye explain war in a really like interesting way mm -hmm. to listen to. And I like that he wasn't inherently presented as right because he does this like twice and like nobody listens to him. <laughs> so it was like a nice like undercutting of it. We'll talk about that later on. But this episode was like solid. It was more serious than I think the other ones have been. And it was a nice like change of pace from the very goofy Adam's Rib episode and vice versa that we've seen recently. It was a nice like, hey, this is a serious hour kind of one. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I think so. I think that it was um, it was a lot less serious than I think it probably could have been been it was almost like a hybrid episode of like a goofier kind of adam's rib episode and an actual like other dear dad episode or you know another harder hitting episode to the point where i liked this episode but it kind of just didn't it was just like an episode of mash nothing like groundbreaking yeah. nothing really blew me away about this episode 
Um, still, you know, love it, but <laughs> that's uh, in general probably not one of my favorites. Yeah, I feel you there. With me saying it is more serious, I just want to like clarify that this is a half-hour sitcom where the characters are being held at gunpoint. So, like, that is the the major thing that made me uh it was more serious yeah and i think that that was part of like not necessarily my problem with this episode but just it felt like it didn't know what it was doing almost in the sense of like it didn't know if it wanted to take itself seriously or if it wanted to like remain lighthearted and fun and i i typically like those episodes and i keep prefacing like i did like this episode but yeah i don't know it, it went by super quick it had kind of like a weirdish tone for me i don't know it was uh it was interesting but not one of my favorites yeah, I wouldn't say that it's fully cohesive and like, mm-hmm. you know, made me feel all the things that like a really good match episode can make me feel when it's serious. But I liked that it was at least trying to be. I will always give them credit for that unless it's like massively out of step. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So to get into the episode, just like a little bit more in depth, I, uh, <laughs> this is me completely joking, but you know, an episode is a zero out of 10 for me when it starts on a close up of feet. No, thank you. Ne- I'll turn it off. Thank you very much. Yeah, dude. I did not enjoy seeing a very prolonged close up of Trapper's feet as he cuts Ugh. his toenails with a very long clipper. (laughs) Uh, I guess that's just what they, like, looked like in the 50s. I don't know. But that was a directorial choice, and somebody probably enjoyed it, but not not me. Thank (laughs) you. Not I. Not me. (laughs) Not I. (laughs) But, I mean, besides that, I liked this opening scene where Hawkeye is talking into this tape recorder. I guess it wasn't necessarily, like, a tape recorder. It was probably, like, a record recorder. I don't know. This is kind of hard for me because I'm not from this generation, but I do know that they were able to record people's voices on records. That's how we made music. Anyway, so (laughs) this is always really interesting to me to hear Hawkeye kind of narrating it to his dad, because like I said, I think I said this in several other episodes on this rewatch of the show. I like to remind myself that you can watch this through the lens of Hawkeye just always narrating a letter to his dad. And so this kind of like reminds me that like, oh, yeah, you can watch the show like that. So that's always really cool to me. I agree with you that I enjoy the Hawkeye perspective aspect of the show a lot and how they handle his narration uh, throughout. Even last episode, as I joked that the reason why Frank and Margaret weren't in this episode is because Hawkeye didn't care about them. Mm-hmm. So like that, that kind of feeds into that. But I agree. I liked Hawkeye's narration in this one a lot. And I like that unlike the previous Dear Dad episodes where it was a letter, he is explicitly sending an audio medium to him. So all the narration that we hear is the literal narration that Hawkeye's dad would hear when he receives this uh, this tape and or record. Yeah, definitely. I like that Alan Alda started his first podcast in the 1970s. Pretty cool. Yeah, Hawkeye following in our footsteps doing a podcast (laughs) about MASH. Isn't that a delight? Pretty meta, if you ask me. Inherently a good podcast kind of (laughs) MASH in general. It's good to talk about on radio. So 
it's after this scene where you get the context of Hawkeye sending this recording home to his dad, this triage scene, which I thought was probably one of my favorite scenes of the episode. Anytime they do something outside or on the triage buses, I don't know, something about it just like really gets me. I really like those scenes. Um, But this just confirmed to me that Frank should definitely never be in charge of triage. Yeah, Frank has maybe the worst bedside manner of anyone working as a professional in the medical field. Just awful, constant screaming, no good. And I know that it is like a military base, right? But imagine you're on this bus, you're injured, and there's just people screaming at you. (laughs) Like, not a good way to handle it, man. No, definitely not. And yeah, I mean, Frank was just kind of acting like Frank, so it's not really like anything groundbreaking for sure. But yeah, no, I I definitely wouldn't want to be wounded and also like hearing Frank Burns' shrill voice just screaming at other people. So yeah, Um, I did think though that this was a pretty good introduction to like every other subplot. Um, I thought yeah. that was really well done because this is where we get the introduction of like the Turkish soldier and the American soldier with the gun and like I think they make reference also to the Luxembourg lieutenant and they do yeah so I liked this jumping off point yeah it's where everything springs out of which I I do have to give them credit for structurally that is like a really fun thing Mm -hmm. and I have to say with the Turkish shoulder sorry my list will not allow me to say this combination of words But with the Turkish guy, them having him like sandwiched between two gurneys, (laughs) I thought was insane. Like, I feel like you should not do that to a man, even if he's being rowdy. I I don't know if that was like the reason why, because they did say, you know, oh, they gave him a bunch of, you know, like drugs to calm down and drugs to like numb his shoulder pain and stuff like that. And he was just like very, very adamant about going back to the front line or like not leaving his buddies or whatever they thought was the issue with him at first. And he just like takes a knife out and rips through the top gurney, but also like why was he covered up like that? Was it because he was being rowdy or was it because like his shoulder injury? I don't know. That was very strange to me. I want to know who made that decision because that, yeah. that feels like such a weird decision to make. <laughs> like that feels like a Frank Burns decision. And Frank yes. Burns was the one who was like, don't do that. So like, who did this? <laughs> After the introduction of the Turkish guy, and then they say something about, like, the Luxembourg lieutenant, and then we get the American soldier who pulls up in a jeep, and he starts threatening everybody with a gun. So I think that we'll probably talk about him first. Yeah, he's, like, the A-plot of this episode, and Mm -hmm. I thought this was, like, pretty interesting. Like we talked about in the beginning, this episode doesn't really come together, like, cohesively as, Mm -hmm. like, a, wow, great episode. But I thought this was a really interesting uh, idea in general that this guy is kind of like overtaking the camp with like, you have to take care of my guy first. I don't care about anyone else. And I'm going Mm -hmm. to literally shoot anyone who gets in my way. Kind of wild to see. I imagine that seeing like an American soldier be basically the villain of an episode was kind of like interesting to watch in the political climate of 1973 you know um whatever year we're in right now probably further than that but still 
it, it was a really interesting watch and this guy was like the like perfect ideal like american soldier guy where he's like a handsome blonde guy and mm-hmm. he was like the bad guy of the episode it was very it was an interesting watch how do you feel about this yeah this was super interesting i think that um what didn't have me super jazzed about this episode was just that I'm pretty sure that later in the series they kind of do this American soldier with the gun plot line a little bit more in depth, a little bit further, a little bit better. So seeing it kind of almost like half baked into this episode with a bunch of other kind of like kookier type of things just like didn't do it for me i do like the idea of it like i thought that you know because it's revealed at the end that he has been sitting there with a gun making sure that they finish up uh taking care of one of his soldiers and stuff like that through this whole episode and then it turns out that he is also pretty like seriously wounded so i liked that aspect of it but yeah i i thought that knowing that it's gonna get done a little bit better later on didn't have me too hot on it but i mean i thought that this was the better of the three kind of plots that they had going on yeah every time that you say that the show will do something better later on always has me really interested because this show's gone on so long and has such a a long history that its version of repeating plot lines isn't like the wacky shenanigan plot like whenever you bring this up it is always like the more mature plot and like Mm -hmm. it's better because they've had more time to like gestate the idea you know what i'm saying so i'm interested when this will pop up again and how the other version of it handles it and i do have to say that with this guy the mud on his face like kind of freaked me out the entire episode me too like pattern of it it like really skeeved me out i'm glad that you feel the same way that was a super interesting choice too like set and costume wise it made it more realistic but also like it was like ooh, wow he literally just got out of battle kind of thing yeah the mud kind of triggers my i don't know what kind of phobia this is but it's like the phobia of like patterns Mm -hmm. i have that with like circle stuff and it like hit that but him being coated in dry mud did really sell the idea that he is kind of frantic about it and like Mm -hmm. kind of running on like pure adrenaline i think uh because he is just immediately there like yo i just came from the battlefield and you gotta take care of uh my my colonel right now and it is all just maybe not a decision that he would look back on as like the right thing to do once he's calmed down but because he's running on just energy it's sold really well through the the makeup of it yeah i definitely agree with you and to go back to something like a little bit lighter did you think it was as hysterical as i did that when frank went and got henry after this guy was threatening him with a gun to take care of the sergeant (laughs) that nobody believed frank when he said hey there's a guy with a gun outside threatening everybody This was this was really good. Probably like my favorite scene in the episode, honestly, because it was just like, I mean, if Frank ran into me, I was like, yo, I'm in great danger. I'd be like, yeah, okay, buddy. Who who do you who do you <laughs> annoy this time? Because uh, there's so many people who've already like threatened Frank every single day. Like, come on. Yeah, seriously. 
I did think that the scene also after this, too, where the guy's in the pre-op room and then Hawkeye takes him out and is talking to him. And I think that you had touched on this like a little bit in the beginning when Hawkeye was talking to this soldier. His name is Smith. And he says, hey, like, I get that this isn't some like geopolitical conflict for you. This war is basically just 30 people that you have to take care of. And, you know, that's it. But he was trying to explain to him, like, hey, yeah, like, it's not a geopolitical conflict for me either. It's not just some, like, idea. We have to take the people who are the most hurt. And, you know, I get that you feel so strongly about, like, the people that you're in charge of taking care of. But we have to do this on such, like, a massive scale. And I thought that that was, I always find these things when Hawkeye is like explaining these ideas about war to characters that he's explaining it to the audience at home also. And so I thought that that was really interesting. I like this speech a lot. Um, Hawkeye does this a few times just in general through the series. And I Mm -hmm. I always like it because as someone who doesn't particularly think about the geopolitics of war It is nice to get that kind of on-the-ground perspective, even if it is from a fictional TV character. I never think that uh, he's being, like, preachy, at least so far in the series. I always find his perspective on things to be very interesting. And what I liked about this scene a lot was that this guy who he's speaking to, uh, Smith, was not ever being, like, unreasonable, you know? He was always like, Mm -hmm. yes, that makes sense. That is, like, I understand where you're coming from, but also, you just gotta go in there and take care of my guy, otherwise I will shoot you. Um, (laughs) It's a really interesting, like, juxtaposition between basically delivering, you know, a sermon to, like, the audience about the reality of war and also, like, undercutting it with, yeah, but if you said that to someone in real life in this situation, they would not care, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think that that kind of just, that was also, I feel, uh, an attempt by the writers to be like, yeah, this American soldier is doing a bad thing, but, like, this is how he is looking at the war. Like, that it's confined to this conflict of, you know, his people versus, like, not dying. and. I thought that that was a it was a good choice for the writers to include Mm -hmm. that. I also wanted to note this scene um, with Hawkeye and this soldier outside of the operating room is, I think, the first time that we get an explanation for Hawkeye's nickname. And I wanted to get your take on that. I don't think I've seen this episode, but I've always known that piece of trivia that He's named after the character from Last Mohicans, which is the only book his father ever read. And it was just like really nice to see that in the series. I was like, oh, yeah, that is like official confirmation, not just like extra lore on a Wikipedia page. It's such an interesting thing for him because Hawkeye you would think like would refer to his like vision or eyesight where it's like, you know, if you're a sniper, you can be called Hawkeye because, you know, you you see from a bird's eye view. But as a medical man, he doesn't really need that. So I like that it is not something super significant that it's just like, my dad liked this book. So my nickname is from that book. 
Yeah, and I think that they bring that back as well in other episodes. Like, it's reconfirmed in some other episodes in the rest of the series, too. So, But I, I did think it was interesting that this was the first time it's brought up in three seasons deep. Like, this is why. So um, I think that it's mentioned. Is it mentioned? I want to say it's mentioned in the book and the movie as well, potentially. But um, for sure, this is the first time in the series. I think it- I shouldn't say for sure, because I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> okay. I think it is mentioned in the book. I have not read the book at the moment, but we will read the book uh, at one point in the future and talk about it on this podcast. But I don't think it's mentioned in the movie. I think that's just kind of something that is like left aside. I know that Trapper's nickname also comes from somewhere too. And it might be, like, really weird. I've seen, like, jokes about that on, uh, once again, the MASH subreddit. So we'll we'll get into that one day. So going from the discussion about this American soldier holding everybody kind of hostage, kind of not hostage. I don't know. I wouldn't really call it a hostage situation. But w- w- moving on from that. I mean, he had a loaded story. gun. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Anyway, so going from that part of the story to... We mentioned this Turkish soldier. He seemed to be just like immune from drugs. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was a that was a pretty interesting plot line. And then after they bring him into the OR, he just like gets up again and is like, "All right, I'm out of here." <laughs> and it was such like a it was such a crazy scene while they're trying to work on this other soldier that the American soldier is like, "Hey, I'm literally gonna shoot you guys if you don't fix this guy." And then also having this. Turkish guy who's speaking in a language nobody understands, just running around the OR. It's just like, oh god, this is so mash. <laughs> yes, this uh, very reminiscent of the scene from earlier in the series where I think a North Korean and or Chinese soldier wakes up on the table as well and like grabs a knife and everybody freaks out. Yeah, but. In this one, he grabs a syringe of perhaps morphine and Mm -hmm. uh, like threatens everybody with it. And Henry grabs it with his hand and like injects himself with morphine and just like passes out. And the way Henry uh, and McLean Stevenson like perform that little bit was like a nice bit of tension relief where he's like oh mom and like falls over it's funny because i'm always very critical of these scenes that have someone grabbing a needle and then suddenly like injecting themselves with the um whatever is in the syringe i always hate those scenes because i'm like that's not how syringes work guys (laughs) it has a plunger but If you look, Henry grabbed it in such a way that, like, he pressed down on the plunger himself. Like, nobody, like, pressed the plunger into him. So you actually saw the plunger, like, going down. It was very funny. (laughs) So Henry's a maker of his own demise there. Literally. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I don't really know how I feel about this Turkish man plotline, just in general. Like, it was a little too close to, I think previous plot lines we've had where it felt like I have seen that before. I know we just talked about how I am interested in how they do these recurring little moments a little bit better, but I just feel like I've seen this particular bit done 
better with earlier episodes, like with the like North Korean and or Chinese soldier. I remember that being a lot more like tense and a lot more like interesting where this one, they kind of just like find him in the kitchen and Hawkeye tries to talk to him and it kind of works. And once again, it was a bit relying on the we don't speak a foreign language. So we're just going to yell at a man kind of thing that they've done in the past so i i didn't really know how to feel about how they handled this particular bit of conflict during the episode yeah i think that's why like i said i wasn't like super hot on this because i feel like it was trying to be two different episodes with like the severity of the american soldier kind of holding them at gunpoint making like hey you have to fix my friend you have to fix my friend stuff like that versus like (laughs) the comedic relief of this guy screaming at them in turkish and them trying to like communicate with him but i did think that the scene in the kitchen was well done because it kind of did a callback to hawkeye trying to reason with the american soldier he's like hey i know this isn't a geopolitical conflict for you and the turkish guy is obviously not understanding him and he just is just like beating a butcher knife on the table and hawkeye goes well that's the second time today this didn't work and i thought that that was just a fantastic callback to the previous scene that was really good. I should not discredit that. I legitimately love that. That's my favorite kind of callback joke where it's very clearly Hawkeye thinking like in real time of like, okay, what if I, what, what, what do I know that could help this? And earlier today, I already gave this speech, so I'm just going to give it verbatim again. <laughs> and it yeah. doesn't work at all in this context. <laughs> it was so funny to watch. It was smart, though, that Hawkeye kind of like figured out that he wanted to get sent back to the front, that he wasn't just like, I want to kill all of you people. He was like, hey, I don't want you to keep me here because I want to get back to fighting. But I did not think it was smart that he told Radar to give him his clothes because, like, this man is two feet taller than Radar. (laughs) In in what world is Radar's clothes fitting on this Turkish man? (laughs) I was going to bring that up because that was just kind of insane to me. I think that was just an excuse to get Radar to undress, which is kind of inherently (laughs) funny. Uh, But it was kind of ridiculous that... Of all the things that Hawkeye could have him put on was the clothes of a man who he described as a two-foot man. Like, this is a very <laughs> large Turkish soldier right here. It was just silly. It was. It was very silly. Um. Uh, on a similar note, I thought it was also kind of ridiculous how much Hawkeye trusted Radar to bring the soldier back to the MASH literally, hospital. Literally. Literally. Like, <laughs> Radar is such a small little man, and he was kind of putting him into a not dangerous scenario because this guy's not inherently dangerous, but he's putting a lot on him right now with trusting him to drug this man, drive him back, and like make sure that he doesn't wake up along the way. (laughs) Yeah, especially since like he is known to be like very drug resistant this guy like this has been like a plot for the entire episode but yeah so to give that a little bit of context hawkeye says hey radar like take off your clothes also give this guy some prune juice that is spiked with like 
knockout juice um and then uh drive him until he knocks out and then come back and of course what happens oh yeah radar drank the wrong juice and he took the knockout juice and that was that was it (laughs) it's just a whole thing but how this ends is that the turkish man comes back with radar like in tow and like gives him back to the mash unit and then drives off on his own in a stolen Jeep, which I thought really did resolve it in a very funny way. And the poor man never got his shoulder fixed. Like, <laughs> that's not good. He's got priorities, man. This episode is about how you you, you run on adrenaline and don't care about your own injuries and you just <laughs> plow ahead to your own detriment. Apparently, apparently that's just the takeaway from this episode, because that segues us nicely into how adrenaline just apparently takes over, because the Luxembourg lieutenant was originally thought to have um, died, and then at the end, when they're at his, like, memorial, they're doing, like, a memorial for him at the 4077 when his colonel comes and is like, wow, I'm really sad that this man that, you know, is so brave that he died and this and the other thing. And then he hears the Luxembourg national anthem and then gets up. He wakes from the dead, apparently, and just is there. (laughs) And the whole bit with this section of the episode is that, yes, they thought the man was dead, but also they had no idea where he was. And he just, like, stumbles out of, like, some random tent in the camp. Like, where was he? How did he get there? Okay, this is what killed me, is that he was in the post-op ward. Like, he was recovering. And so <laughs> the ex- the only explanation that we get from this is Hawkeye and Trapper, like, looking at each other. And Hawkeye goes, I thought you said he was dead. And Trapper just shrugs casually and goes, he got better. What? (laughs) What's happening here? I mean, that's a pretty valid medical explanation, I assume. (laughs) I I guess it's the only medical explanation because, like, I don't know. It, It was just such, like, a crazy thing because they mentioned him on the triage bus. And then they say, oh, he's not that bad. And then uh, suddenly, Radar is like, oh, yeah, he died. And then the colonel is like, what? (laughs) And then he's awake again. Okay, I don't know. It was just so strange. This is very uh, 70s military humor to me. Like, this is what (laughs) I always picture, like, other shows doing that weren't as serious as MASH. Like, I imagine your Gomer Pyle or whatever, your Hogan's Heroes. Like, most episodes have, like, oh, no. We lost a body. We got a fake thing. And then, like, the end joke is that, like, they find him and he's just saluting, like, a mindless drone, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this seems very uh, military humor from eons ago. But I'm glad that it kind of, like, showed up in MASH because it's just, like, such a relic of its time type of thing. Was funny. Liked it. I definitely Mm -hmm. thought it was fun. I just want to clarify that people salute are not mindless drones. I was just talking about how he <laughs> rose from the dead to salute his national anthem. I was, I was, my thoughts when he like rose up, <laughs> I guess, from the bed when he heard the, the Luxembourg national anthem. I was like, wow, how patriotic. This is so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> A true soldier right there. Give him all the accommodations. <laughs> Okay, so I didn't think this one was, like, super line-heavy, but did you have any favorite lines from this? 
I did. I have a couple. First of all, I have to say that the story of how Hawkeye got the tape recorder was really funny. But uh, it's a very, like, long-involved, multi-part line from him. But the final line saying that, like, I got it from Father Mulcahy because he was worried that people would think he was taping confessions was very (laughs) funny. I love that. That was so in character for Father Mulcahy, too, who did not appear in this episode. I was like, you know what? Yeah, Father Mulcahy would do that. (laughs) Yeah, he was there in spirit. And then there's a long line from Hawkeye, which I thought was really good where he says, I sent General MacArthur a letter suggesting that the war should be declared a tie, and General MacArthur sent him back uh, an autographed picture of himself waiting ashore in the Philippines. Just every General <laughs> MacArthur joke, I'm like, amazing, perfect. I don't yeah, even, I, Was General MacArthur like alive when the show was on? I hope it oh, was. I, I don't know. I, I'd have to like, I'd have to look into that. But man, that would be, uh, that would be funny if he was. <laughs> I wonder if he could take a joke. <laughs> I'm like, Wait, now I'm thinking I'm like 90% sure MacArthur was alive. Anyway, okay. So I liked um, when Klinger and Frank were on the triage bus and Frank is giving Klinger a bunch of shit about, you know, being in a dress, stuff like that. And so Klinger is walking away and Frank goes, Klinger, I want to see you out of that dress tonight. And Klinger goes, never on a first date, sir. Just that's how the scene ends. That is the perfect Klinger joke. I had to restrain myself from not bringing that one up. (laughs) I also really liked the end scene where Hawkeye is signing off the tape to his dad and he has everybody in the swamp kind of saying something to his dad, like saying hi or bye to his dad. And Trapper goes, hello, dad, your son's no good. (laughs) And Henry also goes, (laughs) Henry requests that Hawkeye's dad call his wife, call Henry's wife. And (laughs) He just like, it seemed very ad-libbed where he goes and ask her to send some new shorts. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, that was, that was really good. Did you notice that there was one line in this episode that was very clearly like dubbed in after the fact? Um, It was a Hawkeye line. It was so clear. I watched the show with headphones on, so I'm very aware of like the sound mixing, you know? Mm -hmm. And there was, there was one line in this when Trapper goes, you can remove my foot from my mouth. And uh, very clearly dubbed in, Hawkeye responds, it'll be a size 12 ectomy. Like, so clearly record on a different day. That's so funny. I did not notice that. So, also, I do have some trivia for this episode. I actually have, like, a considerable amount of trivia for this episode, so... We're oh, gonna... boy. That's fun. We're gonna we're gonna really get into it. So, I know that we didn't talk about it a lot, but there was the Luxembourg colonel who was coming to see how, you know, the guy who was dead and then wasn't dead, how he was doing, stuff like that. So... He was played by Kurt Lowens, and Kurt Lowens was born Kurt Lowenstein in East Prussia, which is now Poland. When the Nazis took over, his family moved to Berlin to be with a larger population of the Jewish community in a bigger city. His bar mitzvah was postponed in 1938 after his synagogue was burned down and his school was closed during the November pogrom, or commonly referred to as Kristallnacht. Insane. Oh my god. Yeah. 
His family fled to um, the Netherlands and planned to come to the U.S., but he and his mother ended up being sent to Westerbork, which is a concentration camp or was a concentration camp in the Netherlands. But they were released apparently due to his father's connections at his job in the Netherlands. So they like narrowly escaped being sent to Auschwitz. After being released, he took on an assumed name and joined the Dutch resistance. And his group of the resistance helped to rescue over 100 Jewish children and hide them with families that would take them in. Oh my this god. Guy is a, this guy's like a hero. It, it's insane. He just like had this like little small part in MASH. What the heck? What? Wait. Okay. So the guest star of this episode is like he could have his own movie about him if yes. if they wanted to. Yeah, exactly. That's wild. It's wild. So anyway, so a little bit more about Lowens. So also during the war, actually, he received accommodation from Eisenhower when he aided two downed American airmen. And he served as an interpreter for the British after the war when the British were keeping like the captured Nazis under house arrest. So he served as the interpreter for that whole venture. Um, In 1947, after the war, he came to the U.S. and studied acting in New York at the Herbert Berghoff Studio. His acting career also, weirdly enough, he played a lot of, like, Nazi roles. It was very strange. Um, So he played German officers in movies such as Toberg and Torn Curtain, as well as on TV in Hogan's Heroes and Wonder Woman. He also made appearances on 12 O'Clock High, Mission Impossible, The Six Million Dollar Man, and The A-Team. And for newer shows, he was also on Cold Case, ER, and Night Court. Hmm. Um, For other movies, he was in The Deputy, which he played like the Nazi doctor that did experiments on people. Like he literally played that role. And I was like, oh my God, that's terrible. Um, I mean, I guess if he didn't want to do it, he didn't have to, but also just that's terrifying. Yeah, I think that doing stuff like that as a uh, like German sounding guy in this era when you're Jewish is just like a way to take back the uh, the power of it. You know what I mean? When I was looking up this actor, um, I'll, I'll link a lot of his um, interviews and articles and stuff like that, because I, I, I don't want to speak for this man, of course, but I do believe that that's maybe how he felt. That's me speculating. Like, I don't know for sure. But just like in general, that's most likely why, if I had to guess. But for other movies besides that, he was also in um, The Other Side of Midnight and Angels and Demons, which uh, people would probably popularly know as uh, the sequel to The Da Vinci Code. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. He also worked with high school students to make a six-minute animated short about his experience in the Holocaust. And Lowens passed away at the age of 91 in 2017. That's an incredible life. Yeah, 100%. Like, that really... The fact that he was such, like, a small guest star and had this amazing backstory, very interesting to me. Yeah. Every time you bring up these, like, older actors who have these long lives, you know, before and after they they appear on the show, I'm always, like, so interested in knowing how they started, like, what was their decision process to be like, I'm gonna be an actor, and then, like, land this small role on this show... Um, But especially for him, because, you know, being in the Holocaust is such a damaging thing that I really I want to learn more about this man so I can know why he chose the like acting field in particular. That's that's so interesting to me. In the sources that we will link in the description, there was a video interview with him that was about seven minutes long. I I didn't watch the whole thing, but. 
I'm guessing that he kind of goes into his decision to become an actor a little bit more in that video. So if anyone's interested, I found this man incredibly interesting. I was so, so blown away the fact that he was a literal war hero and saved Jewish children um, during the Holocaust and then just was an actor afterwards. Like, mm-hmm. that's crazy to me. That's crazy. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. So I also have a little bit more trivia about um, the Korean War. I know we're heavy on trivia today, but I thought that this was all pretty interesting. So um, I looked up the Turkish involvement in the Korean War. So apparently Turkey, not apparently, this is facts, but Turkey was the second country after the U.S. to respond to the U.N.'s call for assistance in South Korea. And they also had the fourth largest troop presence in the Korean War. So pretty amazing. Hmm. Three Turkish brigades served in the Korean War, totaling over 14,000 service members. Most notably, the Turkish brigade participated in the Battle of Wawan. I'm sorry, I'm probably pronouncing that so wrong. That was a battle I believe primarily was fought between Chinese and Turkish soldiers. And I believe that's probably why this Turkish soldier in this episode wanted to go fight the Chinese so badly because this was like a very prominent battle for Turkey and the Turkish soldiers. So I think that's probably why they had this character kind of, you know, saying, I I have to go back to the front. I want I have to fight the Chinese. I have to fight the Chinese because of this battle. That's me speculating, but I would think that's why the writers included that. Yeah. Similar with the Ethiopian soldier, like I keep saying, I do like when this show demonstrates that the the war was a diverse effort and it wasn't just Mm -hmm. Americans. So that's just something I always appreciate. Yeah. And speaking of that, I also looked at Luxembourg's involvement in the Korean War. and I don't have a ton about Luxembourg, but I thought it was pretty interesting because Luxembourg sent 110 troops in to fight in the Korean War and only two were killed and only 15 to 17 were injured. I was like, wow, that, that's pretty amazing. Wow. Maybe that's why that guy survived. (laughs) Yeah, right? Interesting. The Luxembourg troops were also part of three battles in the Korean War, including the Battle of Czech... Oh, God. I I don't want to butcher the pronunciation, but there was this battle that was uh, very close to being one of the last battles of the Korean War. So I'm also going to link some sources to Luxembourg's involvement as well for further reading. Please check out those links. Vanessa goes through a lot of effort for this (laughs) trivia. But this is awesome. Like, I... So much stuff, like... And I know we've talked about it before, but like, I didn't learn about this stuff in school. Like, I got a very, you know, glossed overview of the Korean War. So I really always appreciate being able to, you know, learn about this new stuff. And so I hope that anyone who is interested is also learning something, too. Yeah, I agree. Um, It's called The Forgotten War for a reason. And I'm glad that we, in our very small way with our very goofy podcast, can learn just a little bit more about the real Korean War every now and again. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Ethan, so controversy time. <laughs> what is your martini rating for this episode? Um, I think it's going to be like a three out of five. I, I did not like love this one, but it's like a solid episode. You know, it's a little it's a little above the the average one just with uh, Hawkeye's like speech that he gives the first time, uh, the speech that he gives the second time and it's just not working. <laughs> and the origin of Hawkeye's nickname, I think, gives this one 
just a little bit of an edge over like a right down the middle 2.5 episode. You know what I mean? No, because I gave this one a 2.5. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I thought this was just like a very like, you know, run of the mill mash episode. Nothing, nothing insane. Nothing that makes me want to really return to this episode. I do like the inclusion of, you know, like the Turkish soldier and like the Luxembourg soldier and stuff like that. But I, th- I, I'm pretty solid with this being like a 2.5. I could maybe give it a three. Like I think a three is like pretty, pretty fair for just the stuff that you had mentioned. But yeah, for me, 2.5. Understandable. This is not an incredible episode. It is pretty much a down the middle one, except for mm-hmm. the few little bits that, that I pointed out. But I understand where you're coming from. This is not a controversy. I think this is pretty well accepted. (laughs) I don't think anybody's going to come at us and say this is the greatest episode of the TV show. (gasps) No, I don't think so. I think this is a very fun episode, but just like objectively, it's not the best episode in the series. Still wouldn't turn it off if I had a choice. Wouldn't turn it off for sure. Mm -hmm. I think there's only a couple so far where you're like, no, no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, just to wrap up, we'd like to give thanks to Jacob Verbalka for being our technical consultant, Melissa, my sister, for cover art, and of course, our listeners. Thank you so much. Our music, social media, and contacts for the show are linked in the description, as always. And join us next week for Season 3, Episode 13, Mad Dogs and Servicemen. But until then, drink the right prune juice. (laughs) Goodbye, farewell, and amen. Bye, everyone.